Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Take your Bibles and go with me to Mark chapter number 11. Mark chapter 11 this morning is where we'll find our place in God's Word. Mark chapter 11, as we continue to walk right through the book of Mark, as our Bible preaching and teaching method is, next chapter, next verse, we come this morning to Mark chapter 11, look with me at verse number 15, Mark chapter 11, verse 15, if you don't have your Bible with you, there should be one maybe in the back of the seat in front of you, in the back of the seat behind you, you'll find a copy of God's word, pick that up and follow along with us, Mark chapter 11, verse number 15, and if you found your place and if you're willing and able, stand with me, out of respect for the reading of God's word, Mark chapter 11, verse 15, down to verse number 19. Every once in a while, a few times out of the year, I'll realize that about halfway through the day, that my wife is really upset with me. And I have no idea why. So kind of very unusual, man. It's very kind. She's very gracious. Husbands, you ever been in that spot? Your wives are mad at you and you don't know what exactly it is you've done? Anybody else? Can I get a witness on that one? You're going to leave me by myself there. Okay. It's puzzling, really. Scary. When I find myself in that situation, there's really only one thing to do. Get a hotel room and say, no, 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 no. When I find myself in that situation, there's really only one thing to do. And that is, find out as quickly as I can what I did and say I'm sorry for it. When you know someone who is normally patient and gracious and kind and tender and compassionate, And you know them to be this way often. And then you find that person and they seem as if they are just angry or off the charts, mad. The the best thing you can do is pay attention. Listen to what they're saying. Find out what made them upset. This is true. This is true with your wife, with your husband, with your friends. But this is more true. This is infinitely true as it relates to the person of Jesus. If Jesus were to come into First Baptist Church and if he were to be as upset as he is in this passage that we are about to read, I hope that we would all be desperate to learn why. What what is it? What should we be doing? What should we not be doing? Notice verse 15 of chapter 11. And they, this is the disciples and Jesus, and they come to Jerusalem and Jesus went into the temple. And he began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple. And overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, 
Is it not written, my house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priest heard it and sought. Notice what they go looking for. They sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him. Because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. And when the even was come, he went out of the city. Our Heavenly Father, use your word in our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. At the heart of the temple is this question. The question is, what must I do? What must I believe in order to make things right with God and in order to keep things right with God? This is what you need to understand temple, the temple as. It was the way that God gave to man in order to make things right with God and in order to keep things right between them and God. And because of this, we're seeing in this text that Jesus honored the temple. You'll notice that Jesus goes, the Bible says in verse 15, he went into the temple. Jesus honored the temple in this way. You will remember this, that Solomon is the one, King Solomon, who in fact built the temple. He built it in all of its beauty and in all of its glory. And that temple existed for several centuries until it was finally destroyed by the Babylonians because God had warned them, if you disobey, if you continue living in sin, if you will not heed my word, I will destroy this temple. And the people did not obey God. They chose to live in sin. They disregarded the word of God. They rejected the prophets of God. And as a result of this, the Babylonians came in, they took the people out into captivity, and they completely destroyed the temple. Several years later, a man by the name of Zerubbabel came back into Jerusalem and he attempted to rebuild the temple. Many years after that, a man by the name of Herod came along and Herod built onto the structure that Zerubbabel made this large and ornate temple. This is, in fact, the temple that you are reading about in Jesus' day. It was a temple built in this way. And Jesus is recognizing this temple is the way that God has given to us to be made right with God. And yet, when we continually live in sin, when we disregard God's word, when we disobey his clear commandments, when we choose our ways over his ways, when we are self-centered instead of savior-centered, and we find our relationship with God as a broken. The, the temple is the place of worship. So three times a year, what was happening in, in Jesus' day is that people from all over Jerusalem, and not even, not even just Israel or Jerusalem, but really all over the world, they were coming to Jerusalem to worship. They'd come for the time of Passover. They would come for what was called the Feast of Tabernacles. They would come for what was called the Feast of Pentecost. 
They, they were obligated, if they were Jews, they were obligated to come. They, they must come. If they were in good health, they must come all the way to the temple. And they must gather at these specific times in order to worship and praise God and to signify that they were right in their relationship with God. I want you to understand something about the temple worship because it has implication for us today. And we, you and I, we do not worship in a temple. We gather this morning in a church. Jesus was our temple. That's what the Bible teaches us. But what you need to understand is that God wants his people to gather together in worship of him. God wants his people to gather together in worship of him because of what it represents. That God wants you and me to gather with his people, to sing his praises, to declare his name, to show his worth, to show his glory. God wants this, that as we as a church, when we gather together on Sunday morning, on Sunday evening, on Wednesday nights, when we gather together around the word of God, what we are saying to all of those who are watching us, we are saying there is a God who is worth it. There is a God who is worthy of my life, of my time, of my offerings, of my service. There is a God who is worth it. And that is what we say when we gather together in church. Whether you recognize it or not, that is what you are saying this morning as you gather with God's people. The scripture teaches us to do this. The scripture teaches us in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 24, verse number 25, that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That when the church gets together and you are a member of the church, that you should be there. There's a lot of people who are on the membership of the church. But they are not members of the church. You know the difference, don't you? There's lots of people who have their name on a roll. But they are not actively involved in serving the body of Christ. And so God is calling us that we are not simply to see to it that our name is on the membership that we are to see to it that we are gathering with God's people and that we are in fact members of the body, we are members of the family, and that we are members of the family of Christ and our goal in this world is to glorify God. It's not to make much of First Baptist Church. It's not to make much of you or me. It's to make much of God who we gather to serve. I will tell you this. That for 2,000 years in church history, the church gathered together on Sundays. I will go even farther and I will tell you this. That even in times of difficulty, the church gathers around the word of God. That our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine, the missionary I spoke about a few moments ago, gathered together with the church, even in times of difficulty, to study God's word, to sing God's praises, to worship him. Why? Because God is worthy of that. And gathering together with the church is a, is a spiritual reality. Gathering together with God's church, it has a physical benefit. Sometimes it just does your soul good to see a brother or a sister who you haven't seen in a while. 
Sometimes it just does your soul good to have a handshake or a hug or sing together or worship together or fellowship together. It does have a physical benefit to it, that's true. But it's not just a physical benefit that God has in mind. God has a spiritual reality that you and I are to be displaying. And the spiritual reality that we display when we gather together in God's house with God's people is we say, our Lord is worthy. And we are associating ourselves with him. We are declaring his worth, but we are also declaring our allegiance to the God of the Bible. Amen. Jesus is helping us understand that he honored the temple in this way. The temple is a place of worship, and that is why Jesus honored it. But the temple wasn't just a place of worship. The temple was also a place of evangelism. You'll notice in the text that they went into the temple, notice verse 15, but jump down to verse number 17. About halfway through the verse, you'll see this phrase, and it reads, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer. And so sometimes we think, well, you know, the temple, that was for the Jews. They were God's chosen people. And so they were supposed to go into the temple and nobody else was invited. But what you're seeing in this text is that's not the case. The Gentiles, those from other nations, even they were supposed to come into the temple. In fact, you may not know this, but in the temple, they had a very special court that was set up for them, which was called the court of the Gentiles. It is where they, as Gentiles, where you and I, if the temple were around today, where you and I would have been allowed to go. There was the court of the Gentiles. There was the court of women. There was the court of the priests. There was the Holy of Holies. There were all these different sections where you were allowed to gather and you were allowed to demonstrate the worthiness of God, declare the glory of God, and in fact be able to meet and hear about God. And so what you're noticing is that God has intended it to be this way. Church is not just for church people. That if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, we're glad you're here. If you're here this morning and you say, well, I'm not for sure if I'm a Christian or not, we're thankful that you've come. And we hope that by the time this sermon is ended, you'll recognize according to God's word that there is one God and there is one way to God. And that one way to God is not through the church. It's not through religion. It's not through good works. It's not through helping the needy or feeding the hungry. The one way to the true and living God is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. And there are many, there are many relig places of religiousness. Christianity is not about religiousness. Christianity is about a relationship with the true and living God, not through your religion, but through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not by works of righteousness which we have done. It is according to his mercies that he saved us. And God is showing us, Jesus is showing us this. This is the way in which it was intended. But what was happening in their day is that the people of God, they got it backwards. The people of God who were chosen by God for the explicit purpose of being the instruments that God used. Instead of having their eyes on the watching world and instead of declaring to the watching world the greatness of our good God, they turned their eyes inward. 
Instead of having their eyes on the Savior, they had their eyes on their, themselves. So here's what's happening in the text. Hundreds of travelers are streaming into Jerusalem. They're going to the temple on Passover week. They're coming from all over the world in order to sacrifice. So when they would get there, they would have to buy a sheep or they would have to buy a goat or they would have to buy a bird or, or they'd have to buy something in order to be able to sacrifice something at the temple. And guess who they had to buy it from? They had to buy it from the priest. They had to buy it from the religious leaders. You see, here's why they had to ensure to do that. Because the only way you can make a sacrifice on the temple is if that sacrifice that you were making was without spot and without blemish. And so if you were traveling a long distance and you were bringing your sheep from your house, man, there was a good chance that somewhere along the way that sheep would get dirty, that sheep would get hurt, that sheep would become contaminated in some way, and now it would not be allowed to be made sacrifice. So the surest way or the best way to ensure that you would actually have a sacrifice is to not bring your sacrifice from your house, but to wait till you got there and purchase one from the religious leaders or the priests that were there. And so here's what's happening. The priests who are there are standing in the court of the Gentiles and they are, they are selling all that is necessary in order to make a sacrifice with God. How many of you have ever seen something online or on video of the, the trading floors of, of Wall Street or NASDAQ and all the yelling and the bartering and the bargaining that's going back and forth? And it's very chaotic. If you don't know, you're, like, you're, you're watching all of these trades that are happening and you're going, what is even going on? No one even knows. It just looks like a madhouse. It looks like my house in the morning as we're trying to get ready for school. Who's got a lunch? Lunch. Who needs a sandwich? Sandwich. Out the door. Here we go, right? And as crazy as it would look at Wall Street, it was infinitely crazier there in the court of the Gentiles. They were bargaining, they were selling, they were buying, they were purchasing, they were exchanging coins. You see, you couldn't just buy an animal with whatever coin or value of cash you had. You had to have your money converted into temple coins. And then you had to use temple coins to buy the animal sacrifice that you were, that you were wanting. And so what was happening in this entire process is that people who were traveling long distances, they were coming to the temple in order to make sacrifice, in order to be made right with God. They were being cheated. Their, 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 their cash value was being undervalued. There was a high sense of inflation on the exchange rate. And even when they were going and they were buying, they were buying sheep and goats and birds for much, a much greater cost than the real value of these things. And in fact, listen, this is what they were doing. They were robbing people. That is what they were doing. And they were doing this in the name of God. That's a shame, isn't it? As some people will use the name of Christ, the name of God, the name of church, and they will use it in all kinds of ways, but not for the ways in which God intended, but their own personal benefit. And so we're seeing a second principle, not simply that Jesus honored the temple, but Jesus hated religiousness. So Jesus sees what they're doing, and they be, he, he begins to throw them out, the Bible says. Notice verse 15. Verse 15. 
Look at the verse. And he began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. So he is literally throwing tables, kicking chairs, cracking the whip, literally. At this point, when I was writing this sermon last week, I thought about telling you about the time I got thrown out of Sunday school. I was going to call the sermon, When I Got Kicked Out of Church. It was certainly my own doing. But that is what you are seeing from Jesus here. Jesus is saying, get out. Why? Why is Jesus telling these people to get out? That's a, that's a, that's a good question, isn't it? Why is Jesus telling people to get out? Why is Jesus, who is compassionate, who is kind, who is patient, why is Jesus, who invites children to come and listen to him teach, why is it that Jesus, who touches the needy, who helps the hungry, why is it that Jesus does this? It, it, it feels in some way as if this would be out of his character. Jesus doesn't throw people out of church. Jesus is supposed to invite people to church. Jesus isn't supposed to be driving people out. Jesus is supposed to be leading people in. And so why is it? And here's the reasons. Because they were careless. They were careless. Jesus says you're not recognizing where you are. This is, notice what he says in verse number 16. This is my house. In, in Matthew's gospel, Luke's gospel, he says, this is my father's house. So I want to make very clear, because there are some people who use this passage to teach that the church should never have things like bookstores or, or coffee shops. The church should never be selling materials. Is that what Jesus is saying? Is Jesus saying that the church should never sell materials? Is that what he is condemning? No, absolutely not. This, where you sit today is not a temple. This is a church. Jesus is our temple. And then we, as his body, are a part of the temple. So it's not that it's simply that they were offering this service. That wasn't the problem. The problem was they had taken his house, his father's house, the place of worship, the place of evangelism, the place of devotion, and they were careless in their approach of it. It wasn't necessarily that they were doing the wrong thing, although some of them were, make no mistake about that. It's that they were doing it in the wrong place. They were careless in their hearts. And because they were careless in their hearts, it minimized their worship of God. In fact, listen to Barclay in his commentary on this. He says, these leaders had a $5 million a year profit from the sale of these animals in the temple. And when Jesus sees this chaos, this deceit, he gets angry. Why? Because people could not find God here. This is not worship. This is not evangelism. This is not the point of the temple. No, they were valuing the tradition of the temple over what God had called them to do. 
You see, friend, they were taking what belonged to God and they were using it for themselves. They were stealing it away. They were careless. It's not just that they were careless, it's also that they were calloused. They were doing this in the sight of all nations, the Bible is saying. Look at verse number 17. My house, which you are being careless about, you are treating with indifference, shall be called of all nations. So they had set up shop in the court of the Gentiles. This is where they were doing it. It was an opportunity. Listen, it was an opportunity for people who were far from God to draw near to the true and living God. And in fact, I need you to hear this. This was the only place in the temple that all of the nations could go. There was no other room for them to go into. There was no other place for them to worship or even be evangelized. They were, there was no other spot for them to go. This was the one and only. And yet because of these people there, who were careless in their treatment of God, who were neglecting their worship and evangelism and devotion to God. They were using this as an opportunity for this glorified money exchange. They were calloused in their hearts. And because they were calloused in their hearts, they became corrupt in their worship. They had this profound disregard for the nations. They had this profound disregard for others. They were calloused. They were careless. But I want you to see this one. They were covetous. Notice what he is saying in the text. He says, my house, verse 17, look at it. My house shall be called of all nations a house of prayer. But ye have made it a den of thieves. So people who are selling are not just these good-natured tradesmen. That's what Jesus is pointing out. Jesus is saying, no, they are in fact cheats. They're swindlers. They're robbers. They're crooks. They are people who are just trying to make a profit. They're just out for the dollar. They're self-centered. They were covetous in their hearts, and because they were covetousness, because they were covetous in their hearts, it contaminated their worship. You see, friend, the heart of the matter is always a matter of the heart. Their first thought was not, how can I serve these people? That's what they, that's what they were pretending it was. Oh, we're just here to serve the Gentiles. That is what they were saying, but that is not what they were thinking. And Jesus is indicating that these people are in the grip of sin. They're slaves to their selfishness. They have fallen trapped to the work of the devil. They gather together in public worship. They go through the motions. They meet at the temple. They have all of the religious trappings but it's all a front because they are not doing this for God. They do not live in such a way that they are worshiping God. They are simply worshiping themselves. 
This still happens today. You know that, don't you? And people come to church for attention. It's all they want. They just want attention. Warren Wearsby has this great line. It says, the light of the gospel attracts the strangest bugs. <laughs> That's true. Some of you are some strange bugs. Me too. As some people, they come to church for attention. That's all they want. They don't get it anywhere else. They can't find attention in their family. They don't find attention in the community. They don't find attention from their family. They don't, they don't find attention at their job. They don't find attention. And so they come to church. And that's all they want. It's just selfishness. It's a, it's a selfish endeavor. They just want attention. Some people come to church to be seen. That's all they want. It's good for business. I go to that church. You go to that church. You should buy something from me. That's all they want. It's good for business. Some people come to church just to be heard. They're not actually offering anything of value. They aren't contributing any kind of spiritual discernment. They aren't, they aren't giving in any kind of way any, anything that is profitable or, or of good intent. It's just a place for them to be heard, put on a show. That's all they want. It is not to worship wholly before God. It is not to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is not to know that as the scripture says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. It is not to sit in church and feel the presence of Christ and be led by the Spirit of God and be in tune with the Word of God. It's to come to church, to seek attention, to be seen, to be heard. Not, not for him. But for me. And so what did Jesus do? The Bible says Jesus ran them out. And Jesus is not politely tapping them on their shoulders saying, you know, I just don't think it's a good thing for you to be here any longer. But Jesus is quite literally, according to John, Mark, Luke, Matthew, he is picking up a whip and he is driving them from the place. In fact, in this text, notice what it says. Look at verse 15. Or rather, verse 16. He would not suffer any man that should carry any vessel through the temple. So if somebody was picking up something and was trying to walk through the hallway, he was smacking it out of their hands. It's quite a scene. He's not allowing any of this to happen. Why? Well, because their religion had become heartless and careless, and thoughtless, and ruthless. Because it was not about worship, or prayer, or devotion, or witness to the nations. It was about themselves. Sometimes in being so focused on ourselves, on our own self-expression... We miss Jesus. We don't see him. We don't worship him. We don't hear from him. Because it's all about us. Jesus hated religiousness. And Jesus honored the temple. Let me give you this last one. 
And here's where we get practical. Jesus taught them about himself. The scribes and the chief priests. Look at verse 18. The scribes and the chief priests, they heard it. And they saw how they might destroy him. Do you see that? you see their response? Their response to the most compassionate, tender man is not, well, if he is this upset, I wonder what I did. I, I, I wonder if I came at this the wrong way. That is not their response. Their response is they get more upset. They get more angry. Why? Because Jesus is threatening business. That's why. And so they sought how they might destroy him. For they feared him. And notice, notice this. This is, where, this is where I am getting. He taught them about himself. And that's what I want you to see. Because all of the people were astonished at his doctrine. Sometimes when we hear the word doctrine, we think, oh, well, all the doctrines of our faith. But the word doctrine is actually a very simple word in the Bible. It simply means teaching. That's all it means. Teaching. So they were... The religious leaders were afraid of Jesus. Why? Because of Jesus' teaching. Because the people listened to his teaching. That is why they hated him more. And Jesus wants to make it very clear to you and to me who the real temple is, how real worship happens. How do we really come into the presence of God? The only way into the presence of God is through Jesus Christ himself. It is not a building. It is not an offering. It is not a prayer. It is not religiousness. It is not any of these things. The only way to be made right with God is through Jesus Christ himself. Jesus spends a lot of his time teaching. A lot of people in our day, we like to think of Jesus as this miracle worker... We like to think of Jesus as loving, as feeding the hungry or healing the sick. And all of those things are true. Jesus did those things. But, but do not miss the fact that from the Gospels, the bulk of Jesus' time is not spent miracle working or feeding the hungry. The bulk of Jesus' time, what he did the most was teaching and preaching the scriptures to people. What Jesus spent his time doing was opening the Bible, teaching people about the scriptures, leading people to a knowledge of himself, helping them learn about God and about God's plan, helping them turn from their sin and repent and trust in him, that this is what Jesus did. So listen, friend, if you are here this morning and you are saying, man, I don't want something to come between me and God. I don't want something to distract me in my worship of him. I don't want something to take my eyes off of the Savior and put them only on myself. Then, then here's what you and I must do. Three things. You and I must do these three things. We must first stay persistent in the Word. You must stay in the Word of God. Because we love Jesus, we believe in Jesus, we want to honor Jesus. And so we hold the teaching and the preaching of Jesus in the Bible incredibly high. In fact, we hold it as high as we can. It is why we gather together. It is the preaching and teaching of God's word that we gather together. 
If we are not opening the Bible and we are not learning what God says to us, then we are simply performing a religious exercise this morning. It is why we preach the Bible the way that we do. Next chapter and next verse. Why? Because the Bible is sufficient for all that we need. The Bible is the very word of life. It is God's word to you. It is God's word to me. And we want to know as much of it as we can so we can be obedient to it in our pursuit and worship of him. When you spend time in God's word in that way, it creates in you, it creates in me a hunger to know more and more and more of the word of God. And I'm wondering this morning, are you hungry for the word of God? Are you hungering after the word of God? I want to know what God has to say. Well, the way you know that, friend, is not through your own self-expression. The way you know what God has to say to you is found in these words right here. And many of you are sitting here this morning and you're saying, it's been a while since I've heard from God. Here is why. You have neglected his word. We must be persistent in his word. And so I'm asking you, will you make the commitment to spend five minutes a day in God's word? Some, some, some of you can do much more than that. I know you can. And, and many of you already spend much more than that in God's word. But some of us, this is where we ought to start. I'm going to spend five minutes every day reading the Bible. I'm going to read something in Psalms. I'm going to read something in Proverbs. I'm going to read something in the life of Jesus. That's the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the narrative of the life of Jesus. I'm going to read something in the book of James. James is very practical. I'm going to spend five minutes every day reading something in the Bible. I'm asking you this morning, if you have not already made that commitment, I'm asking you this morning to make that commitment. Some of you have made that commitment before, but you've gotten away from it. And I'm asking you this morning to return to that commitment. I'm going to spend time in the Bible. I'm going to read it. If you need help in knowing where to read, we have a host of spiritual leaders at this church. Our deacons and our pastors here would love to take an opportunity to show you. You simply need to stop by the welcome desk and say, I'd like for somebody to show me where to start reading the Bible. I've got some questions about things. We'd love to get you in touch with one of our spiritual leaders, our teachers, our deacons, or our pastors who would love to give you instruction in this way. That is why we are here to help you in this. Persistent in his words. Second, the priority of prayer. Notice what he says in the text. He says, my house shall be a house of prayer. And when we are persistent in the word, and we make prayer our priority, we find the presence of God. You know why? Because these things lead us to Jesus. Jesus is the greater temple. He is God who became man. He became man to reconcile us as sinful men to a holy and to a righteous God. The holy place of meeting, of worship, between heaven and earth is found in Jesus Christ. That is why Paul says about Jesus, Jesus is the mediator between God and man. The one who goes between God and you. It is not the church. It is not me. It is not religion. It is Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus says if you want to get to God, the only way to God is through me. 
No man cometh to the Father but by me. Jesus called himself the door to God. He referred to him at himself as the way to God. It is very clear in the scriptures. If you want to know the presence of God, it is found in Jesus Christ. You see, friends, you do not have to go to a place, but you have to go to a person. And the person that you must go to is Jesus. You can have a relationship with God because Jesus Christ. I'm asking you this morning, not if you've been to church, not asking you if you're religious. I'm asking you if you put your faith in Jesus. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you have a right relationship with God because of Jesus? Or are you hoping and thinking that the only way you can get a right relationship with God is your own good works? My friend, you and I cannot do good works to earn us favor with a holy and righteous God because the Bible says that all of our good works are contaminated by our sin. They are as filthy rags, the Bible says. A holy God is not impressed with our good works. A holy God demands holiness and righteousness of which you and I do not have because we have all sinned. You've sinned and I've sinned. We've all sinned. And our sin separated us from a holy God. It has separated us from a God here in this life right now. And if you die separated from God according to the Bible, you will be separated from God not just for this life, but for all of eternity in a place that the Bible calls hell. And that is why Jesus Christ came. He came to forgive you of your sin. He came to lead you all the way to God. He came to provide for you a door to God for which you cannot find on your own. And I'm asking you this morning, have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know that your sins are forgiven and that you are right with God?